Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, I am going to keep this introduction brief because our guest today truly needs no introduction. But a few days ago, our bike editor, David Golay, and I spoke with Greg Minar, the greatest DH rider of all time, about this past season and his world champs victory. We talk about some of the keys to Greg's high-level longevity. We also talk about Greg's particular mental approach to racing. And, of course, I had to ask one goat about another goat, Tom Brady. And there are a number of other topics that we discuss in this conversation as well. We really enjoyed this conversation. I'm happy to report that Greg did too. And so if you do as well, then please take 30 seconds to rate or review Bikes and Big Ideas in Apple Podcasts. And let's all keep this thing going and growing. And with that, let's get to our conversation with Greg Minar. Well, Greg, how are you today and where are you today? No, I'm great. I'm just, uh, I'm in Andorra. I've just got back from a, a brilliant day in the park. Um, it's the final closing day of the Vilmore Bar Park. Yeah, we, I had a bunch of friends go up and brilliant day out. Brilliant day out. Already back riding bikes. Yeah, so today was kind of a test. I, I, yesterday uh, was the first test I did. I rode my motorbike, my trials bike and... Uh, went out with some friends and you know as it goes five minutes and peg hits a, a root gets jammed up and i go over the handlebars and uh shoulder seemed okay and then today was the first day back you know i knew if i could ride a trials bike i could ride a mountain bike so um tom pick i promised tom to to ride the, the velmore bike park and, and do some laps and and he messaged me so so, you know, I might as well go up and, and do some uh, runs up there with them. It's, it's the last day that the park's open. So, we had a good day out. It was, it was brilliant. Shoulder wasn't too bad. And, yeah, really just a lot of fun. Hey, real quickly on the shoulder thing, this is purely selfish. I've been nursing my own shoulder injury. What exactly did you do? Well, I was going to ask you that. What did you do to yours? Third degree separation of the AC joint. Yeah. So tore all the ligaments, but it was borderline surgery and they opted to not go the surgery route. I've had my share of injuries. This is maybe the weirdest, weirdest one. Not the most serious, but the weirdest one I think I've ever had. You just have a new anatomy now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I felt it was kind of like a boring injury. It, it's, you know, mine was a stage two separation and it's like, it was sore. It, wasn't really sore. Um, I could still kind of use my shoulder a little bit to the side, but anything out the front was kind of weird and awkward. And I kind of gave this this different sensation. You know, the last World Cup, obviously, I tried to ride, and and there was no ways I could ride. There, it was just not going to happen. And, and I'm glad I gave it a go because when I was watching, I was able to enjoy watching the race, and and it was great racing to watch. So. Um, but it, yeah, for me, it was kind of a, a lame, weird, awkward injury where I felt like it wasn't really that bad, but it kind of, I couldn't ride with it. It, 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 it kept me off the bike. But doing okay-ish. 
to very good. Yeah, you know, today today was good. Uh, riding a, a mountain bike, you're kind of jerking on the bars a lot, and you you have these like little moments where you you flicking the bar up, and you you you're trying to get on top of little bumps and roots and everything else. That was definitely a bit slower, but jumping and going down some steep stuff, it, it was fine. You know, it was a very cruisy day, as you can see in my gear that I'm still in. It wasn't a very serious down the hill, but we definitely had a great day out. By the way, I have to ask. Do I have it right that you were recently in California? Yeah. Yeah. I just got back to uh, Andorra on uh, Thursday. So, Do I have it right that you were hanging out with Elliot Jackson? Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. That guy, he's been supposed to come see us here in Crested Butte. It hasn't happened. I just get these sporadic apology emails and like, we're going to figure this out soon. And so I almost, I was like, I should come out to California right now, bust up your little hangout, and then, I don't know, somehow demand that he comes, he finally makes good and comes and sees us out here. Well, so, so I was with Elliot. I, I went to um, a Fox Investor Day in Atlanta with Elliot. Uh, we then flew to California together. Uh, I went off on my own. He went back to Canada for the, was it a Crankworks maybe event? There were a couple events going. He went over to that. But I got to see the the Grow Cycling Foundation headquarters, which is really cool. I was flying out of LA. Uh, I called into his mom, Joe, and uh, she took us around and showed us the you know what they got planned in in uh, Inglewood, and it's it's incredible. It really, is incredible. So I think they'll be breaking ground quite soon there. So they they really pushed hard in Grow Cycling, and it's they've really done well with it. In fairness to Elliot, I think it might be fair to call him one of the busiest people in the entire mountain bike industry right now. Am I off on that? I always message him and I hear nothing back. And it'll be months. And then I get this reply, and I'm going to be in Europe in a couple uh, next week. Where are you? I'm like, well, you know, it's just near your house or whatever to say. But no, he's, in all honesty, he has been super busy. Um, he had a long stint in Europe. Um, he's done incredible work with Grow Cycling, uh, raising funds for that as well. Um, so he he has been a busy man. Um, his commentary has been really good. He puts a lot of effort into that as well. Um, and so now, yeah, I, I can I, I I agree. I think he, he's definitely been one of the busiest guys around. Well, Elliot, if you're listening, we love you. We just wish you would text us back more regularly. <laughs> Is that can we can we do that? Yeah, maybe you can add me to that more regularly text. Yeah, um, I mean, blow me off, but man, Greg, come on, Elliot. <laughs> Hey, I have one last question that I have promised that I would ask you, and then we'll get into some other topics. But we did talk with Valley last week, and she said that I had to ask you about Mookie in Austria and schnapps. Mookie. As soon as you started this and then she asked, I knew where you were going to go. So um, I was with O'Neill a couple of years ago. We were doing a, a photo shoot, and we get to the halfway or the mid station in uh, Interglen. And uh, we go into this restaurant, and this guy was super cool guy, Mickey. And uh, we, we had such an amazing lunch, beautiful views. And then he came out with his his homemade schnapps. And, you know, schnapps to me is is not the, the nicest tasting drink. But, man, this drink was incredible. And had all these different berries. And, you know, we, were, we, were sitting, we sipped on quite a few of these um, schnapps. So then uh, this year we go to Leo Gang. My girlfriend was out with me 
And I said, no, we're going to go for a hike. I want to take you to this place for lunch. And so we hiked up. Mickey was there in true style, had a beautiful lunch. And then again, brings out all his, uh, all the schnapps that he's made. And, and you know, my girlfriend's not a big drinker at all. And so she was like, schnapps, you know, really? And so she had a schnapps and then she was like, wow, she had a couple more. And suddenly, yeah, she was enjoying them as much as I was. So no, he's a fantastic guy, brilliant, brilliant place up in Inskilen. It's if you're ever in that in that region and uh, near Valley's home, it's 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 uh, a place that you need to go visit. This is now definitely on my list of things to do after that conversation. So we also decided that I should probably just interview Mookie every single week. Yeah, the world sort of <laughs> might need that, given what uh what Valley and Matt Manzer had to say about him. So shout out to Mookie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, well, obviously, Greg, congrats on the win. Pretty remarkable that you just pulled off the win at uh, 39. We'd be curious to start off, just take us through the week a little bit. How were you feeling going into it? And what were your sort of expectations or goals to start the week when you, when things started off? Well, I'll start off with the goals. The goals that world champs are to win. I mean, if you're not going there to win, you, you might as well not be there. I mean, it's one race, one shot to win it. So, you've got to go for it. Um. The week was different. So we had an extra day of training. So instead of having uh, two days into finals, we had an extra day. And I started the week off. And you want to try and build yourself up on pace and on the track and, and get up to pace just before the race. And on that first day, I was just feeling way too good. And I knew things were going to end up going the other way. So as soon as you have to pace too quickly, um, you're going to fade off at some point. And, and I had this big drop and then I couldn't stay on track and I kept getting shot off track and we adjusted the bike, adjusted the suspension and uh, got into that final race run. And uh, I obviously had felt good in, in practice. I was now building back up to get that, that speed going again. But as soon as I picked up the pace, the ruts had got so deep, I'd, I'd be shooting off, off line and off track. And so I slowed the suspension down quite a bit and going into that final run, um, I started off, felt pretty good up the top in the open, got it down into the, the first kind of woods and I was just holding a real tight line and not carrying the speed that I was carrying in practice. And I knew that the suspension was like slower and, and not only rebounding slower, but felt a little too slow. It kept hanging up and, and not feeling like this aggressive um, high energy run that I, that I felt on that first day of training. And as I started to work down the more of the track, I, I started to push a bit harder and the bike started to control a bit more. So those sections of track where I was like getting into these massive holes and getting bounced out, out of control, I suddenly had a bit more control through these ruts and starting to ride in a smoother line and pick up the pace a bit and, and get a bit more flow. Um, down to the bottom, I must be honest, that last wood was was just uh, hanging on for dear life. And there, there's a, a left-hander. Uh, you can see it. You kind of do a drop, um, literally the second to last corner in, in the woods. Um, a, a big rock flicks off the rear wheel. I go into a left-hander. You do like a slight right and you drop into a left. And as I drop into the left, I absolutely collapse onto my left, onto the left side of the bar. And I manage to like push myself up and you pop out into the open. you got this, big kind of ski jump down to Sam Hill's left hand. And I was like, man, I, I, I can't touch, I can't afford to touch a brake ski. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. did a tiny little bit. I must be honest, did a little, um, a little soft touch. 
I launched all the way down. Wasn't sure I was going to be able to hold myself up off the landing of that. And uh, big left hander onto the pedals, and I just had to go for it for that finish line. But I mean, the, the times were so close. It, it was what point two on the second in front of Coolarch, uh, but man, what a race! It, it, there, there hasn't been a race or a sensation that I've had in racing to to those world championships. I mean, it, I was ecstatic. It, it was crazy. It was it was really really a cool weekend. Can I ask for a point of clarification? Language question here. When a World Cup rider talks about hanging on for dear life, like I know what that feels like as a recreational rider, right? When it's like, I should be in better shape and I just climbed up some big thing and now I'm on the downhill and I, man, I should be in better shape, right? Where you're just gone, right? And you're like, grip is gone and everything is just kind of blown out. Is that what you're talking about? Like just kind of absolute physical fatigue? Absolute physical fatigue. For sure. You know, like you've had, you've had like three, three days on this track. So the track is absolutely trashed. It's super rough. You know, you, you, I was watching guys in the hot seats and suddenly like guys will be up and then they off the back and then they've made up time. And there was so, the runs were so erratic because the course, the track was so physical. Um, that, that it's a beast of a track. Um, that track involved soul was something else. And being so dry and dusty, those ruts were just, uh, yeah, they need a new track. They definitely need to be on a new track because it, it is beat. Um, lots of sharp edges that you, there's nothing you can do about it, but, but to slam through them. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was on the edge of fatigue. I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty fit and pretty strong and well-trained going into an event, but after a couple of days and a race run like that, it's, Man, your body's spent. So, one thing I want to ask about that is, so you came down in the hot seat with three really fast guys left to go and a very narrow lead at that point. And at that moment, were you thinking this time's going to hold or could hold up? Or what were your expectations there? Did you think someone was going to top that? No. No. When I got to the bottom and I saw like I was just ahead of Coulage, I was like, damn, I don't think I've done enough. Um, You know, uh, Coolage is a great rider, and he's he's been he's been knocking on the door quite a few times this year and the last couple of years. And technically, he's he's incredible. But you know, to beat Luke Bruni or, or Loris Vergier or even or Tebow, I mean, these guys have been setting the pace and for the last couple of years. I, I was nervous it wasn't going to hold. Um, Luke came down. I think Luke was the rider straight after me, and um, he was a little off. And then Loris came down. He lost some time, I want to say, near the top. And I was like, well, maybe this time could hold. And then I'm just like, well, there's one rider left. Please can I just hold for one more rider? I mean, come on, can I just be on my side for once? And uh, man, when I saw it did, it, 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 was kind of, it was kind of a horrible way to win the race in a, in a, in a way. You know, when you watch a rider crash and not have a good run, um, to me, it's a, you know, you don't want to celebrate or, or – or like, you know, just let your emotions run while, while you still got a guy on track racing, you know, to me, it, you, you've got to wait for the last guy to, to cross the line. So, but just itching your seat. He was okay. He had got up from his little crash. Um, he had lost a bunch of time before there, but, um, yeah, that, that, uh, it was just an incredible day. Really incredible day. First time winning at Val de Sol. First time winning. 
Yeah. I've had a few seconds. I've had a few bad races there too. I felt like the last time we raced the Laurie Greenland one, um, I crashed in the last section of track. And I, I, I knew that I didn't have a time fast enough to win it. And, uh, but I possibly would be on the podium. So I didn't feel too bad. And then the re- time before then was probably 2017 when uh, my wheel just disintegrated and lost the World Cup over to Aaron Gwynn. So I've had like a bunch of really average, pretty good results, but then also a lot of disappointment as well. But that's all been like, turned over now to just joy and excitement for Velvet Cell. Related question then, and this is a bit more of kind of, I guess, a mindset question. Thinking about this just remarkable career of yours, where you've lined up just so many times with so many outstanding results, but I talk to a lot of elite level runners, and often it seems like something that I'm hearing a bit more about from top, top world-class runners is that they are really trying to think less and less about results and where they're placing in a given race. Like it's really for for a lot of them about focus on, you know, run your race, right? Let the world shrink down, just do your thing on a given day. I'm not sure that that mindset would really translate all that well to like DH racing, but I wanted to get your take on that. If you're like, no man, I'm always looking around, seeing where my competition is, how folks are doing, not trying to shrink the world down to just you and your performance, but paying attention to the field, the track, everything else. Do you have a sort of typical mindset now coming into races or mental approach on this? No, I think, you know, I think you re- when you're racing, you've got to race within yourself and know what you're doing and understand it. But if you have your bl- if you have the blinkers on to everyone else, you're not going to see the progression of, that someone else might be doing, or or or, or lines, or or way people are setting up bikes and the way the bikes are working. You know, not to not to look at it and and discourage yourself. But if someone's doing something different and it's working, you've got to understand it, you know, and try to incorporate it or understand why it's working. Um, and add that to what you know, and or maybe even try and prove what they do. Um, I, I always think you, you can never you can never be stationary, and you, you're going to have to move and adjust over time. And I think I feel I've been pretty good with that to to understand what where I am and what I want out of the bike today might not be good enough for tomorrow. So we have to keep trying to squeeze out. Um, physically what I can adjust, change and improve um, as well as through the equipment as well. So um, although when you get on the start line, you've got to focus on yourself and race within yourself. Um, generally, I, I do keep an eye on everyone and, and, and understand what's going on. And and if I feel there's a need to to push the bike or my body in different areas, then that needs to be done for the following year. We'll do that for sure. One follow-up question on this. So, Let's say somebody just came down in front of you and just laid one down. Do you get feedback like, man, sorry, you just have to simply get more aggressive through a particular section or completely stay off the brakes given what somebody in front of you just did or or what somebody behind you, you know, might be doing? Like, I'm just focused on myself and doing my thing versus like 
shit, I kind of liked taking this course in a given way. Given what everybody else has done, I don't get to just run it how I might choose to run it or feel most comfortable running it. Yeah, see, I don't I don't feel like I'm smart enough to find the time where someone else might have put it in. So for me sitting at the top, I do not know the times. I do not want to hear the times. I know what I need to do to win the race or at least try and win the race. And I need to stick to that plan as much as possible. You know, we've had a qualifier where I can see on sections of track where I've lost time. So I know what sections of track I need to work on. Um, and the rest is all down to managing the runs. So, you know, it's it's about trying to find those those bits of the track. Um, not necessarily switch your mind off and just let go of the brakes and go, but trying to find a, a section of track where you can be off the brakes rather than just maybe touching or having a little dab. And then going into a section of track, maybe you're not feeling so confident to then ride it really cautiously, but know that you have to catch that time back up and push harder further down. Greg, you touched on this a little bit in an answer a minute ago about sort of having done a good job of adapting and evolving over the course of your career. But you're famously quite fastidious about bike setup. And I'd be curious to hear sort of how your preferences or approach to bike setup have evolved over the years as bikes themselves have changed so much over the last 20 years, right? The stuff that we're on these days is dramatically different than what you were riding earlier in your career. And how has that all factored into that progression? Yeah, so the bike setup is really important on my side. I mean, I, I need to feel comfortable within the setup. Um, I've adjusted a lot less in the last few years as the bike seems to fit me a lot better. So um, now we're adjusting a lot less. So when the bikes are smaller, being six foot three, I found myself I was too far back or too far forward. Uh, now we've got these bigger wheels and the frames are stretched out a bit more. I feel more sensitive in the bike. So there's less change going on. Um for me, the brakes are super important and how the brake feels and how it bites into the, the rotor itself. Um, that sensation needs to be perfect and, and in the right place. I find that that brake pulls a little bit too far in. Um, it puts me off. I need to know and have confidence that the brake's going to be pulling. So I don't have much lever through at all, just a little bit. And I need to know that that brake's going to start connecting at, at a certain point. So, um, Paul Lyle has to do a lot of work to make sure the brakes are same feel um, for most of my runs. So that's um, number one thing. Number two, go to suspension. And, and for me, it's trying to find the balance. So you can be at um, Maribor in Slovenia. Um, the track there has got, a, I think, a, a drop of like 250 meters from start to finish. You go from Maribor to Val de Sol, and it's almost 400 meters. So you've got a way steeper track, yet your bike is set up really similar. So straight away, we, we put the tel telemetry on the bike and try and get the bike better balanced through from one track to the other. So we know uh, how the bike works and what numbers work well with the telemetry, and then we can adjust according to how steep the track is and adjust the bike that way. So, And then from there, we'd probably... Um, Probably go to tires. Tires are pretty important part of the bike. Uh, making sure that the rub is good, uh, making sure the pressure pressure's right. But I think one thing we did in, in Italy, which was pretty interesting, was I was running quite a bit of sag um, on the rear end of the bike, and I kind of liked the feel of the bike. Um, I felt like it was a confident feel that I could push really hard on, but I felt on Val de Sol, there was a lot of picking up over these rocks and 
because of all the sag, it, it was creating a lot of effort to get over these rocks. And as soon as we went to the next trade-off, really rough section, I, I felt like the bike was too deep in the travel. Um, so we went to a linkage that made the bike sit higher in the travel, more of a linear um, curve, um, gave the, gave a feeling that the the bike pushed forward through the rough. But because we didn't have so much sag, the, the length of the bike adjusted. Because the bike folds in, the, in half, you have the bars coming towards you. So then I had to adjust the stem length to, to get the same positioning on the bike. So I went from a 50 mil stem to a 45 and then ran a firmer rear end so the bike wasn't um, as sagged. And that for me was a little bit easier, picking the bike up and over rocks, getting good backside, but then not too stretched on the really steep, rough sections of track. So that's all that's going on in a race week. I think somehow when watching Formula One and when watching World Cup DH, it just seems obvious like how absolutely critical it is to get everything as dialed as possible. And that's the difference between, I mean, massive difference in terms of where somebody might end up finishing. So given that, I'm curious how much more attuned and sensitive you are to bike setup, I'd say these days, except we're kind of talking about like a 20 something year career versus like your early days, right? Think about the first year, second year, third year. Would you say that like, man, I was actually pretty dialed on this stuff, even as a young rider or like, it's pretty dramatically different about how you think about the bike, how you understand setup and, and your ability to communicate what you want to feel, maybe what you aren't feeling. How has that changed over your career? Yeah, so I don't think I always had it growing up. I felt like I had some sort of sense of, of trying to get the most out of my bike early on. But I would say a lot changed when I went on to the Honda. The Honda's approach to testing and, and being questioned on each run straight away. You know, you haven't even ridden the track. You do one run down, they want to know how things feel, what is this, and and that whole process was incredible. I, I would say working with those guys made the way I look at the bike slightly different and making sure that that how I feel and fit on the bike is, is super important and and not necessarily following a trend of how the action of the suspension might work, but more how confident do you feel on the bike. Um, obviously, it's within range. You know, if your bike is, is running super slow rebound, it's going to it's going to be a slower bike than a guy running a lot faster rebounds. So, but there was a lot on, lot, lot of emphasis put on to, to the comfort and to the confidence in the bike. Um, and just the, the sheer amount of days of, of testing with, with all these engineers who, who come from all different walks of two wheels. Uh, I think that I, I gained a lot of experience on that. One related question to this, watching the dialed, series video from Val de Sol. That was a fascinating one. And I found myself just thinking like, man, this whole thing you guys are going through where you are running this track, you are feeling certain things on the bike, but then this kind of struggle to communicate that, to communicate. So it's one thing to figure out what you're actually feeling and experiencing, but then there's this whole other step to be like, can you make clear right translate that to to your team and i was like man this 
some teams have to be better and worse at that actual translation part of this equation, which actually seems like a really important part of the equation. Does does that resonate with your experience or does that sound a little weird? No, for sure. I think I think a lot of writers try and adjust knowing what, you know, they'll come and go and, you know, they're feeling a certain way. We need to adjust this on the shock. And someone like Geordie is is so experienced and, and so knowledgeable. Whereas if you explain to him what you're feeling more than what you think he's adjusting, you'll you'll probably get to a better place a lot quicker. Um and to your point in the question you asked before, nowadays in World Cup racing, you know, it's so important your track speed to be to be right up there from the beginning and not to be playing around setting up a bike is is super key. I mean you'll you'll lose you'll lose a lot of time on day one by trying to set up a bike rather than trying to go fast on track. Um, and that's 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 been the, the, to me the 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 hardest thing to to catch up with all these younger riders is they're so set up and so dialed going into that first day of training that their speeds are so high. So uh, you you need to be on top of your equipment coming into the race to be able to hold that track pace with the guys through to from the first day of training into the finals. One thing that I was curious to hear a little bit more about on this subject too is. How often do you find it to be the case that there's a bit of a discrepancy between what sort of feels good versus what is actually fast in terms of a setup? Does that tend to diverge somewhat or have you kind of gotten to a point where you just know what is actually going to be fast and sort of that feels right because it is fast? Well, yeah, there's one to to feel comfortable and to try and soften up the suspension because your hands might not be strong enough or you might, you know, but you can feel the speed. I mean, well, maybe you can't. I I can definitely feel the speed. And so so I'll be aiming for that bike to be faster um, over a comfort. And and when I say comfort into a bike, it's, it's more the confidence and how fast I can ride it rather than how I can feel on the bike, you know. Is it comfortable in my body? No, um, it, it's it's a hard it's a hard rough ride. And go, you know, you, you take a race bike and you go and ride like down a, a downhill run where you're not up to pace. The bike feels terrible, but give it a few runs and get up to pace, and suddenly you, you start to understand that you know you, you're just on a, a race ready fast bike. Greg, when you're ready to experience just the sheer comfort setup, just plush. You let me know because I, uh, I feel like I've, yeah, I, uh, not worried about fast. So, uh, it's just, yeah, probably running the least efficient setup I possibly can. And it's really, really fun out there, but, but we shouldn't do that anytime soon. You know, 20 years from now, when you finally retire, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can, uh, we can look at that. Let's talk about this world cup race scene that you have been part of for quite a while now curious what kind of stands out the most to you in terms of say the sport maturing over these years or maybe becoming more professional or more serious what are the standouts about just the whole the whole scene the biggest things that have changed from when you got going and and today well i think the the biggest thing is tv i think we've got a great partnership with guys who are interested in trying to make the sport look good and 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 present it to to people who don't know about the sport i mean that's how they've managed to grow the audience to what it is today um 
with the bigger audience, there's more teams pushing to be in those top 10 spaces, which then puts a lot of emphasis on riders to be more professional to then uh, be in that top 10. So yeah, I, I think I think TV's been been a big part of our change, and I think having a partnership like Red Bull Media and what they've done with the TV, I think they've done a really good job. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and certainly with you that the broadcasting has been excellent and definitely helped put just more eyeballs in front of downhill and make it sort of something that you can go watch and see, which is huge. Yeah, I mean, I grew up. I grew up racing where where TV was kind of scarce, and and where, where there was TV, I mean, the, the, there wasn't really much of a show. Now, all my friends in South Africa meet up to watch Downhill because it's just something they do. When Downhill's on, they they're watching, and they will meet up with these these big groups, and and you know they enjoy watching it. It's it's something now that you can watch with your family. People, um, you can put it on, and people are entertained through the through the whole show, whereas before it, it, it kind of was a bit bland. Um, the broadcasting wasn't it the, to the quality and the standard it is today. What else is different? I mean, in what ways does the whole just experience of showing up to a race and getting ready for a weekend feel different or whatever else there might be? I would say, the, yeah, the professionalism in the sport's definitely right up there. There's no messing about now. You can't afford to, really. You need to be on your game from, from the first practice. The bikes, the equipment's changed a lot. I mean, that's that's been a massive change. You know, you you often hear about guys talking about how the tracks are too fast and too simple these days, and there's no technical stuff like there was back in the early 2000s. But you know, you go back to Fort William, which we raced in 2002, and you go to the technical section. They were a really rocky corner that we'll still be on uh, with the same rocks, if not even rockier than before, and you just take a different line. Uh, the line's wide, cuts through. You you got tires that grip and hold. Uh, you're running lower tire pressure than than we ever have. Um, our rims hold up. They're strong. They're carbon fiber. Um, we've got suspension that's incredibly good. We we know more about suspension. The way we set the bike up so we get more grip out of the bike. The bike pushes forward. Um, you just ride technical stuff so much faster than you did in the in the two th- in the early two thousands. So you know this whole this whole talk of oh the tracks are too easy it's it's the equipment's too good and the riders just know you know before i remember racing uh, in the earlier days you get to a track and you have to like scout out a line because the main line was just terrible and you'd have to try find a better way to go around it now the, the main line's not so bad the main line's pretty good you're probably 90 percent, 80 percent there if you just stuck to main line and then just went on a fast run down it you know, it's now made the margin slightly smaller where instead of being on a totally different line of the track, you may be turned just to the left of the main line, but still in the main kind of line. So you may be on the left of the line or you're on the right, slight right of it. So the quality of riding is a lot better than it was. The, the main line's pretty decent. The equipment's there. Um, we're just riding a hell of a lot faster than we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So, Greg, last week... We were talking on this podcast with the 19-year-old World Cup DH overall champ, Valley. And we were talking a bit about you because we knew we'd be talking with you next. And I kind of asked Valley, can you fathom, Valley, 20 years from now, say, winning world champs? 
I like actually kind of got to witness her brain breaking, you know, like on a video call. It's such an interesting moment to get to talk to this incredible, you know, 19 year old. And she's so impressive in so many different ways. And then come in and and get a chance to talk to this person that has just been operating at a high level for so long. It doesn't make sense to any of us. So I don't know if there's a question there, but help me put any of this into context. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think back to 19 years old, World Cup, it was a while ago. Things have changed, you know, and that's something that I really love about the sport. And and I was just telling the guys today, actually, it, it's it's such a unique sport, such a such a great sport. Like, you know, I, I ride a mountain bike and often I've ridden a race professionally for 27 years. I just been on a day with um, a few guys from different sports, but we had a great day on the bike park, just just ragging corners and jumping and, and went down some really steep technical stuff, laughing at each other and overshooting corners. We got to the day, I said, guys, I've had such a great day, I need a beer. We just got to, I mean, and the guys are like, yeah, it was, it was a really good day and it, it, it's so cool. We're in such a, a great sport. And, and racing too, if I think back to racing and, and uh, when I was 19 um, on global racing, it, it's totally different to what it is today. Uh, we still go back to Montana. I remember wrapping up the World Cup overall with 19 in Montana. We still go back there. Um, there. There might be bits of track we're still on, uh, but we might run slightly wider. And even if it is the same piece of track, the line's different. And so so I feel we're in the sport that that continually evolves regardless of if, of where you ride or how you ride or you can ride the same trail for for years and go back to it and it's slightly different or you can you'll be riding a slightly different line to what it was which makes it so different so i i think we 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 really blessed in a in a sport that that continually evolves my suspicion was coming into this conversation that what you just said would have to kind of be your perspective. Because on the one hand, if someone was like, man, all these years, how do you stay hungry? How do you keep focused? Haven't you felt like just calling it quits and moving on to something else? But what I just heard you say was it is always new and always different. And so where would the opportunity come in for anything to get stale? But I also feel like from a competitive side, it's such a hard sport to master. I mean, I don't feel like I've mastered the sport. And I think if I had felt that I'd mastered it, then maybe it, it's time to pull the plug. But I don't feel I, I ever have. Dear every competitor listening to this, Greg, Greg Minar is not done trying to figure out how to master this sport. So you should be afraid. Um, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense that it would be important for racing to continue to feel fresh and different in order just to stay focused on in the way that you have. But one other thing that sort of stands out to me, at least from my vantage sitting over here, just watching you at it for all these years, it seems like you're also continuing to just genuinely have fun racing. And long after kind of a lot of the contemporaries that you started off with early in your career, kind of for whatever combination of reasons, got tired and burnt out and chose to hang it up. And this came up a bit in the conversation with Vali last week too, but um, you know, it sort of seems like we're reaching a point 
as sort of just a culture where we're much more accepting of our athletic idols you know, deciding that they want to do something different with their lives rather than the thing that they have become famous doing. And I think that's probably a change for the better. But is it right sort of that just for whatever reason, it's been easy for you to just continue having fun doing it and that has helped keep things just focused and keep you hungry and keep you at it as well in a way that somehow just hasn't clicked for some other people. Yeah, for sure. That's made it easier. I mean, um, that does help. Uh, I also feel like going back to South Africa, like I have in the the, the past 20 years, there's no downhill culture. There's no gravity culture. There's, you know, when I go there, it's, it's, you're totally out the scene. You don't see any other riders you race with. You don't see anyone from tour. You don't chat to anyone from the industry. It's like everything's based around marathon racing or cross country, and really like downhill, it's completely neglected. So I think that kind of helps in a way because it keeps it kind of fresh. You know, you're spending three months or four months in South Africa, um, totally out the scene. When you come back, it, it's great to see everyone again. It's great to be riding downhill. I don't ride a lot of downhill at home. Um, I, I don't really have a great downhill. Um, I pull the bike up maybe once or twice in the off season if I'm lucky. Um, but I've got a great e-bike and I love it. I, I can do like five downhill runs and or trail runs or whatever you want to call it down the downhill track, which is great in the afternoon. And, and that's been really cool. So I, I think keeping it fresh is, is, has definitely helped uh, prolong the career. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, when I get to a World Cup race and there's a track prepped and you've got a chairlift running, I mean, that's incredible. That's, that's anyone's dream. You know, you go to any place and, and there's, there's, you know, you're riding down an old rutted trail. When you get a World Cup, every rut's fixed up. It's fresh. It's neat. It's like, yeah, for sure it gets blown up towards the end. But man, you're riding some pristine trail that's been, that's been manicured for this event. So how lucky is that? And then that's that's your job and your sport. I mean, wow, it's incredible. You know, it's not like a soccer player. So I can go to a soccer pitch tonight and play on the same field that um, all these great soccer players play on. Like, you can kick the same ball. Um, and that to me has got to be a bit tough. But it's not every day you can get to a World Cup track and race what an actual World Cup, World Cup track feels like or was like. So I, I think we, we, we're really blessed in, in that sense. I love that answer so much. It's like, ladies and gentlemen, want to know why Greg's still racing? Because he loves bikes and he gets to ride the best tracks. For sure. I mean, that, that uh, sums it up pretty good. Well, with a very clear and good answer on that front from you, maybe this will feel a little perverse to ask, but I am curious, like, what would the road not taken for you look like? Like, if you had to wrap your mind around, let's say you stopped racing five years ago or 10 years ago. Have you had that, you know, when you're lying awake in bed at night and you're like, there could have been this alternate course for my life, right? Or what you might be doing instead today, as opposed to what you are doing, is there one or two of those things that would be obvious to you? Nothing recent. Nothing in recent times. I mean, growing up, I was um, 
I grew up racing motocross and, and I raced that until my parents bought a bike, a bike shop in my dad's retirement. So that's what got us into bicycles. So um, I would have loved to have thought that I would continue into motocross, but then I don't think I, I don't think I would have lasted. I, I got really tired and drained of riding the same track, um, training lap after lap after lap. It's quite repetitive. And so, I, you know, at 14 years old, I reckon I would have been burnt out before I was 20 um, if I'd continued racing. So th- that was the only point where I, I felt like there was maybe a fork in the road. Um, but in the last 10, 20 years of racing down, I haven't felt once felt or thought that I'd missed an opportunity somewhere else. For sure. You know, I've created a lot, you know, when I was nearing 30, I, I definitely panicked and stressed out and got involved in a lot of business and, and everything else. And the most common question people ask is, what are you going to do after racing? Well, if I knew, knew I was going to be racing at 40 years old, um, I wouldn't have got involved in business. I would have continued to focus just on Mountain Max and, and possibly would have um, excelled a bit more in in, in, the, in some of the previous years. But um, I think it's, it was also a great learning curve to, to, to get involved in things. And now I'm, I'm learning to delegate a lot more and, and put things aside, which uh, – I felt it was necessary. If I'm going to be racing at this age, I need to have more focus and attention to my training and, and how my body moves and works. And man, it, it, it seemed to work out this year. So uh, that's going to be the same game plan going into 22 as well. All right, Greg. So before we let our guests get out of here, we sometimes like to ask what is admittedly a pretty tough question, which is, at this particular moment in time, do you have a big idea that we ought to know about? And this could be something in the, you know, save the world genre big idea, or I don't know, this could be some big idea that is definitely completely ridiculous. Anything like that currently? Um, to be honest, uh, when, when I'm going to bed, I'm rushing to get to sleep because I, I know I've got to get up early. And usually I'm quite late to get to bed because I'm quite a social person. You know, when I'm in South Africa, I get up at, at, at 4.15 in the morning because I get out on my road bike at, at quarter to five. So it's, it's an early start. So um, you try to have a, a barbecue with mates and then get up at 4.15. You you know, w- w- as soon as the last one's out the door, you rush into try and squeeze your eyes tight to hopefully go to bed straight away. I mean, it's tough. Um, so not a, not a big idea has happened when I'm lying in bed. I mean, I have a lot going on. And maybe that just dampens the creativity to to think of what this big idea is, you know, the next big idea. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm coming to a, an age now where realistically, it probably is my, my time might be coming up. You know, all those years where people say, what are you going to do next? Um, that's going to be more present, uh, I think, in the next, in, in the short term. Um, it would be really unrealistic for me to think I can race another 10 years. Um, but saying that I'm not going to let that dampen my racing. If I'm still feeling good in a couple of years' time and still competitive, I'll still be racing because that's what I love to do. Um, I don't see why I should kill that passion just because um, other people don't feel as good as I do at my age. So um, that, that will continue. I don't know. I haven't really had any big idea where I feel like it's going to be groundbreaking or change the world. And normally if I do, I, I get to work at it straight away. So it will be uh, – contacting whoever I need to to make it happen. Um, I haven't had that idea that I need to be plotting right now 
and and trying to plot this massive idea that's going to change the world. Maybe that will come. I don't know. But it hasn't happened yet. We do also, for the record, accept ridiculous ideas as well. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be saving the world. Well, well I think that's why we're in this really interesting space in the bike industry, because there are some ridiculous things out there. And somehow people fall for the marketing slogan or strategy on to, as to why this is that and that is this and da 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 I mean, don't you think that's incredible in our industry, how you get this little sales pitch and people actually believe it for some ridiculous product that's out there? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we've... We've been told by by the industry that what is it like? You know, when when we were on aluminium wheels, it was like, oh, the sidewalls um, they dent because we don't want you to pinch flat. Well, you just dented your rim, and now we've gone to tubeless, and now we've got leaking it. I mean, I mean, let's just create a way to market really poor product. I, I feel the bike industry is full of that. Bike industry strong on marketing. Struggle on marketing. I mean, that's where all our big ideas are going is to marketing. Two follow-ups from this then. One, you know, when you're like, so I, I'm not sure I have that idea. Or you said you're in a position where often if you're thinking about something, you actually are in a really interesting position to be able to make some calls and see if that can be explored and potentially executed upon. And I think that's pretty cool. That's, that's a nice position to be in. So maybe that's why you're struggling with an answer is like, well, I have avenues. So if I really wanted to try to make something happen, I have a network of folks and we can explore that. So um, that seems fair. In terms of the whole nut, what's next thing, you know, there's this guy named Tom Brady who keeps telling the world that he's going to be playing American football until he's 45. First question, do you know who Tom Brady is? <laughs> of course I have. Come on. I mean. <laughs> How often do you get asked about Tom Brady? Uh, not often. I mean, there's often parallels made against him. I, I guess that's an age thing. But man, what an incredible athlete he is. And I mean, last season, he had an incredible season. So I think they're about to kick off. I haven't seen much football yet. He's playing really well right now. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me after having a season like he did last year. I mean, why wouldn't you come in confident? You know, if things might be dipping off. People might be like, oh, the naysayers saying he's getting old and the snutty period did wrong last season. That's just giving him confidence knowing that if he feels good, why not go for it again? I have no doubt that, that he'll have a great season. It's funny. I haven't really thought about this one because, you know, you you were just like, hey, man, I don't know. I'm enjoying this, you know operating at a high level. So this is great. Let's keep it going. I already told you, I just want to ride bikes on great tracks. So I've been thinking about like, why does Brady keep talking about 45, 45? I mean, the question has to get incredibly annoying after a while. I mean, the guy either actually just really cares about the number 45, or it's just a way to be like, I've told you all. So shut up, you know, like, the answer is out there. You can keep asking me. I'm going to keep telling you the same thing. And then if he hits 45 and happens to feel great at that point, nobody's going to force him into retirement. So maybe it's just a tactic. Maybe. Uh, but maybe he also feels like that's a, that's a good time to call it. I don't know. I think, that, I think it's just so interesting. We've got so much more knowledge now on, on how to train, how what to eat and everything else. I mean, we really don't have excuses to be 
sitting at home being lazy about things. I don't feel any different to 21. And uh, I, I actually feel now that, that I, well, okay. After World Champs, I think I just got really dehydrated and tried to really push myself hard the following week. And then suddenly my shoulder went out and then my back went out. And I think that was my own mismanagement, just getting so excited that I just won World Championship. Um, and let's take it back. I didn't feel like, I felt like this season I was probably stronger than I ever have been. I've been moving better than I ever have been. And I just felt like I was really having a good time. Um, for sure, I was training and putting in the hard hours, but uh, I also felt like uh, um, I had a pretty long off-season. I feel my off-season is still running. I think it, it started in January and it's running through to, through to October, but I think it's a good feeling to have. I felt like the training wasn't so strenuous that I need to now have a break to then start training again. I, I feel great. I've, I've had a, well, obviously I got injured in the end of, end of the season, which kept me off the bike for a month, but I, I probably wouldn't run much anyway. I had to go see sponsors and, and travel through California and, and go up to Santa Cruz and I was quite busy. So I probably wouldn't have ridden anyway, but uh, man, I had a great day today. Today was just incredible. You know, unfortunately it was a closing day, but you know, we had Tom Pitcock, the Olympic champion with us. I promised to do some laps with him, champagne laps, but we didn't do the champagne. We did the laps. Um, I had a, a fellow South African MotoGP rider, Brad Bender, with us and his younger brother, Darren, and then Johnny Walker, an extreme enduro rider. So, like, you know, four of us, for, well, four different backgrounds, all on the mountain, having a good time, smashing turns and doing drops. Oh, man, it was a great day. Uh, we, we're so lucky to be in the sport. Greg, real pleasure to connect and uh, appreciate you taking the time. And um, just it's great to be able to say thanks. It's been so fun watching you do what you do for this long. It's so cool to hear how clearly passionate you are about this stuff. And yeah, I mean, for riders all around the world, I think I can just say, uh, say thanks. Please keep it up. And we sure look forward to continuing to uh, watch you on the track. Yeah, thanks, thanks, John, and thanks, David, too. It's uh, it's been an interesting hour with you guys. It's uh, it's great to see. It's it's great to do interview guys. Ask some interesting questions and, and make you really think about what what you need to say or how to answer it. So I I appreciate that. Thanks for the effort on your side. Well, listen, take care and good luck down the line, and uh, look forward to the next time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you enjoyed this conversation, then please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts to help us keep this whole thing going and growing. Now, I want to say thanks to Greg and David for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.